1: Welcome to the Peter King podcast. So happy you all can join us this week. I'm here with my friend from NBC Sports, Paul Burmeister. We are going to go over all of the uh, wild card games, uh, some of the news in the league, and then look forward to the divisional round uh, this coming weekend. Uh, and then I'm going to play about a nine to 10 minute conversation I had with Jimmy Garoppolo the 49ers quarterback after San Francisco went into Dallas and won that game. Crazy, crazy game. We'll talk a little bit about it, but I think from the conversation, you're going to understand that rather than, and again, look, uh, this might be a little bit uh, too empathetic, but rather than attack Jimmy Garoppolo for throwing a stupid interception late in the game, I think I have more a feeling of, empathy for him because he's had to change his entire throwing motion, uh, and how he grips the football and things like that, because he has a torn ligament in his thumb. I definitely want to get that, uh, get some thoughts from Paul Burmeister on that, him being a former big 10 quarterback. So Paul, let's start out though, by kind of, uh, diving into the Monday night game, which is, what is on most people's minds as we record this on Tuesday. Um, I, I was <clears throat> fascinated in almost a, I don't even mean to say, I know this sounds terrible, almost in a car crash way, mm. watching the end of this season for the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, they start 10 and two, and man, did it get ugly from there. They're one in five, I guess, since then, including the playoff loss. What I would call, and after the game, Kyler Murray said it. He said, you know, it just really, really bothers you, and I'm paraphrasing him, to be non-competitive. And that's what the Cardinals were. Uh, Paul, you know, as, as you watch this game, it seemed like almost everything the Rams did, particularly on their defensive front, the Cardinals just didn't have an answer for
2: Yeah, it was was really odd, Peter. And I I think it's, I totally understand what you said about the car crash element to it, that it was so bad and so off from what we remember of the Cardinals in the first part of the season that you couldn't take your eyes off for, for negative kind of reasons. And what really bothered me, what I thought was most troubling, Peter, was Kyler Murray's reactions in the pocket. They just looked off the entire day. Remember that the first sack, and I think it might've been Vaughn Miller who got him yeah. He, he kind of went down easily and <clears throat> had kind of funny body motion and body language. It was like, wow, that, that didn't look like a confident, elusive quarterback who's gaining nice experience. And then it was the same thing again. I think it was in the second quarter, Aaron Donald got him. And it was even more odd the way he went down, the way he was looking at the rush. And of course, we remember that terrible interception. But his reactions in the pocket were those of a rookie playing his first game against the best defense he'd ever seen not of a guy who was in the MVP conversation two months ago. So
1: it was perfectly, troubling. It's perfectly stated. Thanks for doing so that. So troubling.
2: Yeah, troubling to watch it. And I think you also have to have the context of tying it into the big picture. Three seasons in a row now, Cliff Kingsbury team has gone from pretty darn good to just in the tank at the end of the season. So um, not so much as a Cardinals fan, but just as a fan of the NFL, it was just a giant wow moment how much that quarterback has come down and how that team once again just went in the tank at the end of the year.
1: Paul, let's go into the second quarter of this game where the Cardinals are already down two scores and they're deep in their own territory. And Kyler Murray is trying to escape this omnipresent pass rush. And he runs to his right and he did something that I never watch games and say first of all in person I never say anything but I never watch games at home and and say something like aloud like you know oh my god but I said when he made that flip that was the shortest pick 6 now in NFL mm-hmm. his NFL playoff history when he did that I just said oh my god I I I simply could not believe what I saw. I want to ask you this question. This is going to be the first of two questions I ask you today that basically are being asked to somebody who has been in Kyler Murray's shoes. You have been a quarterback at Iowa in the Big Ten and played big games before big, loud crowds. and I want you to take me into What goes through your mind when you see that Kyler Murray incredible flip uh, for a pick six?
2: First of all, I was not any good at that aspect of the game. Peter, you're talking to somebody who took nine sacks. That's nine in in Penn State's first Big Ten game uh, back in 1993 at Iowa. So uh, I I know this spot just because I was not that good at that part of the game. And I, I spent a lot of time watching it and thinking about it. Um, What really jumped out to me there, Peter, on that, I mean, of course, the actual flip of the ball was just alarming and like, how does an NFL quarterback do that? But if you go back and watch the pass rush, they really only rushed one person, Peter, that the rest of the D line did this half rush. Okay, we're going to wait and see which side he escapes to because we're going to chase him down. So it was one rusher that came. And you think about Kyler Murray against one guy coming through the line. You take Kyler Murray every single time in that to to either find the right place to go with the ball or, of course, to make that first guy miss and find a way to his right or his left. And the the fact that he didn't do that against one rusher, uh, to me, that's what really stands out. That's what I remember. The awful decision in that moment is uh, it's it's tough to comprehend and will likely never see. Although Carson Wentz did that this season also. Yeah. Uh, So that's the signature Mm -hmm. moment. But the part that fits into the rest of the night and how Kyler Murray played and how he reacted or didn't react to the pass rush, that's what I see. One guy really came after him in the pocket and that one person made perhaps the most elusive quarterback in the NFL, who for much of the season was also making great decisions and throwing the ball well.
1: One rusher, not five, one, made him react like that. It just seems totally illogical. Paul, just let me ask you one thing about the thought process of a quarterback under extreme pressure in a situation like that. Would you have had, do you suspect the presence of mind to say, take the sack, you know, Mm. when, when, when all is dark, you know, do you have the presence of mind to say, take the sack? Or do you say, you know, hey, just get rid of the ball any way you know. What what do you think would have gone through your mind knowing what was at play right there? Well,
2: in that in that exact split second of a moment where you're in that much trouble with, with, with the pressure, again, from one guy crashing down on you, I mean, in a way, I can get in touch with the part of my memory that says you just, in this fight or flight, you just get rid of the ball. What, what I go back to for a quarterback who... Is a, a pro bowl kind of quarterback for most of the season. He should have had the mindset before the play, before he took the snap. And I, whenever I'm talking to young quarterbacks, I'm like, before the snap, you've got to have a mindset of, okay, what am I going to do? What if? What if in this situation, is it first and 10 on the 50? Or am I standing in my own end zone? What if everything goes wrong? What am I going to do then? And he should have had the thought the second he felt any kind of pressure standing in his own end zone, get out of the way. Don't try and stand in and find somebody unless you really see somebody, but have a plan for getting away. And it's not so much the moment where he flipped the ball. It was awful. I would expect a quarterback with that kind of experience to have the pre snap plan to the second he felt any kind of pressure, two yards deep in his own end zone, run, get out of the way and avoid that negative two points. And that's, to me, that's the the big negative, even more than the, okay, this is crazy. I'm going to try this insane play. He he should have gotten out of trouble right away. And that should have been on his mind before the ball was even snapped.
1: You know what I was thinking of when that play happened after the sort of the shock of it wore off? I tried to think, and I tried to put myself in, in Kyler Murray's shoes. And the one thing I kept thinking, Paul, was he is in a five alarm fire. You know, everything has gone wrong in the first, whatever, 20 minutes of this game. They're down by two touchdowns. They have no, they have nothing going. And, and, and I said, you know why I think he did that? Because everything had gone wrong. And so even though the odds of what he was about to do weren't good, it's almost like playing the lottery at that point. I have got to try to make something, anything happen instead of, you know, having gone into it, as you say, with that kind of thought process. That's kind of what I, what I thought, because it is so uncharacteristic of anything beyond a high school JV quarterback that you just you can't really imagine a professional football player doing that. But anyway, that's the thought that went through my mind. Yeah, I,
2: I think it's interesting, and I, I always try and like, kind of zoom out and think about it in a big-picture kind of way. Two quarterbacks who, for the most of the year, had really good seasons. I mean, Carson Wentz as well had those kind of moments, kind of in their own yeah. end zone, you, you're doing something. You're watching it happen. You're just like, no way. He, he's not actually going to do this. He's not going to throw the ball left-handed from his own end zone. And Kyler Murray is not going to really try and throw it underhand over his head. And that kind of pressure can, can make, uh, in any given moment, and even make a really good quarterback have a panic kind of moment?
1: You know, the Los Angeles Rams desperately needed that game mm-hmm. and to play it that way that unfolded in this wild card game. And I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Incredible amount of pressure going into the game on Matthew Stafford, whether he admitted it, whether Sean McVay admitted it, there's pressure on McVay too, but pressure on Stafford who in his 13th season in the NFL, who in most, I think most people I talk to, they love Matthew Stafford, you know, coaches in the NFL. I remember Matt LaFleur of the Packers when I went through the Green Bay uh, in the summer at training camp, he said, man, Matthew Stafford is going to do great things out there. He said, I think. He said, I, he said, I, I think that guy is fantastic. And so many coaches even though he's got a penchant for turnovers, we see that, mm-hmm. it, You know, it was a really, really important game for him, important game for Sean McVay. And I'll tell you what else I thought it was important for. Important for an injury-ravaged defense that was so undermanned or, or, or beat up late in the season that they took a guy out of retirement, Eric Weddle, who had not played, in a couple of years, they called him during the week and asked him if he was in shape and handed him a uniform. And, and, and so those three things were under pressure. All the other things, you know, the, the running back situation, that wasn't a sense of urgency because Sony Michelle has played so well. So Cam Akers coming back, good story, but not vital. And Odell Beckham, he'd kind of proven his, his stuff coming into this game. We all knew that, he had been revived with this trip, but just if you can tell me when you watched that game last night, what were you thinking about both Stafford and Sean McVeigh going in and what did they show you?
2: I had a conversation with Chris Sims on his podcast yesterday, kind of previewing the game. And I said about Matthew Stafford, let's not see one of these games where McVeigh gets rolling and excited and he ends up throwing the ball 48, 49, 50 times. I want to see Matthew Stafford in a 25 out of 35 kind of game. And Chris made a really good point. He cut me off and said, I'd rather see 20 out of 30. Kind of hammering home the point, don't make it all about Matthew Stafford throwing for 350 yards. Let the defense kind of lead the way, lean on the running game a little bit. And now looking at the bottom line here today, I think he was 13 out of 17, which I mean, neither one of us really saw that kind of game coming. But the point is a little bit less of Stafford, as talented as he is, we don't need to see him throw for 400 yards. And I thought he did a really nice job on those first couple of drives, Peter. Not hitting home runs. Hit a couple nice passes over the middle. Good decisions. A great ball to Odell in the end zone. Just kind of allowed him to have that cushion uh, to put those interceptions of the last few weeks behind him and exhale and let the momentum of the game and how well they were executing on both sides of the ball take over. It was perfect for him. And uh, like you, happy to see it. You know, happy to see the, the, the tough games behind it. Just because it's good for the NFL to have a Matthew Stafford team with that kind of talent rolling into the next round of the playoffs because when he gets it going with that defense and that talent,
1: uh, it's pretty fun watch. I, as, and, and, you know, one other thing I was going to say, Paul, is that, you know, Matthew Stafford is, is noted for his big arm and, yeah. his, uh, and his, his ability to throw lasers. The most beautiful pass he threw last night was his touch pass, the first touchdown yeah. to Odell Beckham in the corner of the end zone. That was an absolute thing of beauty. And the mm-hmm. catch by Beckham and the toe tap getting his feet in was great too. But that I thought that Matthew Stafford in that game was a complete quarterback, ran a little bit when he had to run. He had a 10 yard run at one point. Yeah. Uh, to get out of trouble, I mean, they're not going to design runs for him like you right. do for Josh Allen. But when he needs to, he's not stodgy in the pocket. And then, you know, I kind of look at what what the play designs were in so many ways that I think the reason I thought that Sean McVay was so good in this game is what did everybody expect out of this game? Hey, Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup, Beckham, Higby. Higby, who has been a revelation, he had a huge drop last night, but he's been great down the stretch. Uh, And and so I think everybody was thinking it's going to be one of those 40 or 45 throw games. And I think what Sean McVay has seen in his team is, and I hearken back to the days of Bill Parcells when in the mid-80s, mid to late 80s, he said one time, said we only have four running plays. When people show that they can stop those, we'll put in some more. But right now, we're succeeding with these four running plays. And yeah. he knows that he has Sony Michelle and Cam Akers. He ran them a combined 30 times in this game, which I thought was so interesting because normally you would say, okay, you know, you've got a competent running game, that's great, but they got ahead And they really were able to just wear down uh, the Cardinals. And, you know, the perfect game for a Sean McVay is exactly what played out last night. Everybody thinks, oh, he loves to throw the ball. Yeah, of course he does. But he wants to dominate on the ground also. And it was 36 to 24 in terms of time of possession in minutes. And that is just the kind of game that Sean McVay likes to play.
2: Great points there about the ground game. It really played out well for them.
1: One other thought about that game that's not so
2: much about the specifics of what happened on the field. Peter, I I was living in L.A. when this entire conversation was going on for years about should L.A. have a team? Should the NFL come back to Los Angeles? And the the big worry on the locals was it would be fun, but are people really going to go create that kind of atmosphere that the NFL wants? And just watching that last night, it's a little hard to tell when you're watching on television. But it looked like the atmosphere was just, it was loud. It was even kind of collegiate-like. And my, my mind went back to all those, those years of those conversations of people wondering if L.A. could ever provide the kind of atmosphere in a stadium that the, that the NFL wanted. And it was just, it was fun to see. No matter who you wanted to win or lose last night, uh, it was a great scene for the league, I think,
1: that, to have that kind, of, um, that kind of feeling inside a stadium in L.A. Uh, that was a great point, especially because last week, uh, in the final game of the season against the 49ers, it almost seemed like a 50-50 crowd, maybe even more Niners fans. Yeah, And I, I doubt that it was, but it just seemed that way at times. So I, I agree with you. I think that the fans – I was kind of surprised as close as Arizona is to, to L.A. It didn't seem like there were many Cardinals fans in the house at all. Um, yeah. Paul, let us spend – You know, when we were talking about what to do with this show, I said, let's spend two minutes on every game. I'll give you my thoughts in a minute. You give me your thoughts in a minute. We probably won't really stick to that, (laughs) but uh, let's just sort of go into this. And in chronological order, I'll give you one thought about the Bengals and, uh, and, and Vegas. Bengals winning 26 to 19. I was a little disappointed on the clock management with the Raiders at the end of the game with uh, Derek Carr clocking the ball with 30 seconds to go. V- just the wrong thing to do. You need, and, and, and it showed because they gave the ball up to Cincinnati after three passes that didn't get him into the end zone. And they gave the ball up with 12 seconds to go. They had time. I think that said to me, bad fundamentals on the part of uh, Vegas. You should be thinking of that. You should be, that should be a game situation that you should know a little bit better. But from the Cincinnati standpoint, I think the thing that I liked is that, you know, as you've seen Joe Burrow, you know, he's able to come back. He's able to make all these plays. And to me, I think what I saw in the Bengals would have liked to have seen a little more pressure consistently on Derek Carr, which they're going to need against Ryan Tannehill. Uh, but I do think that uh, they showed enough to me that I think they're going to be trouble in, in Tennessee this weekend. Give me your minute on this game.
2: Yeah, I know we're going to spend time on the Bengals with that game. So I'll just kind of put the Raiders to bed here. I thought the end of that game, Peter, and that it stood out to me as well, that that the clock management was, I mean, that they certainly didn't handle that well. But what a great example of how close Derek Carr and also how close this team is to being a a top 10 kind of team. The Derek Carr close to being a top 10 kind of quarterback. They had those shots at the end zone at the end of the game and they couldn't do anything with it. So you take a team that's right there to moving on to the playoffs, to being to letting everybody know, hey, we're not just competitive. We didn't just sneak into the playoffs. Right. We are right there with the best 10 teams in the league. They're this close. They had four shots at the end zone because they failed to do it. They're way back somewhere in the middle of the pack. Are they 12th? Are they 20th? Does it really matter? They're a team that was almost there, but quarterback and team as a whole, just they're somewhere in the middle and they couldn't quite get it done in the end. And that's, that's what I'll remember about what it represents for, for that team
3: Life is a highway and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Mc Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal. If you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I don't know if you saw the,
1: the tweet with the photo, uh, after the game, I, I, I'm not used to this, but, uh, you know, it was really an interesting thing. There was a shot of, uh, you know, Rich Bisacci of the Raiders interim coach uh, writing thank you notes to his players. And he did it so in the room, yeah. you know, which was kind of a cool thing. The, the setup of it bothered me a little bit. Uh, you know, somebody wanted that out, but any, anyway, yeah. it was, it was a cool thing. And Then we get word on Monday evening that the Raiders have fired Mike Mayock as general manager. Look, everybody in this business has very, very high regard for Mike Mayock. You know him well. I know him well. Uh, And I have to say, even though I heard some stuff internally about that sort of discord and, you know, a little bit of the disconnect, which there always is with the Raiders, I was a little surprised. And this does not, in my opinion, bode well for Rich Basaccia keeping the job. I, and again, I have zero inside information about whether he will or whether he won't. But my only point here is the biggest champion of Rich Bisacci was Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock thought that, just as Derek Carr did, and Derek Carr voiced this so often, but just as Derek Carr did, uh, Mike Mayock thought that Rich Bisaccia did an incredible job of keeping this team together post Gruden, post Henry Ruggs, and and that's why I think hmm, his biggest champion is leaving the building. That's going to be tough. Give me your thoughts.
2: Yeah, same thing. And I was, I, I am pulling for Richie Basachi to get that job. Uh, I, I think he did a wonderful job keeping that team together, giving him a chance uh, to succeed in January. And you, you talk about the relationship with, with Mike and Richie. I worked closely with Mike for, for 10 years, NFL Network. And we were out on the, the senior bowl tour, the East West game, the Combine. And I really got to kind of benefit from a lot of Mike's relationships because we would be out, we would be at practice together, and the people he knew well in the league would come around and I'd get to know him a little bit. Some of them were just like guys I would shake hands with in January and February. Other ones became friends that would kind of keep in touch. And I knew. What they were doing, they knew what I was doing in my life. And they kind of became, um, you know, professional friends. And Richie was one of those guys. And you could see the way people acted around him, whether it was in the stands in Mobile or uh, at the old RCA Dome in Indianapolis. I mean, people, football people like Richie. Players and coaches like and respect Richie. And it's easy to see. Now, whether he's the best guy for the job, uh, I don't know. Um, That's for other people to decide. But I can say from my own personal experience that, that shot we saw of of him writing, you know, thank you notes. I mean, that's somebody wanted that out there. So you can question that a little bit, but that's, that's who he is. I can tell you from 15, 18 years ago, I mean, people, people enjoy being around that guy and it would be, be a great story if they decided to keep him. And I certainly think he's, he's earned that right.
1: Well, two minutes on the Raiders Bengals became (laughs) six and a half. So here we go. (laughs) go. I'm going to be a little bit more disciplined coming up, but now we go to, one of the great performances anybody's ever seen a quarterback have in the playoffs uh, with uh, Josh Allen Saturday night. I was in the house in Buffalo. Uh, it's kind of funny when everybody, when, when I was telling people either I was at the game or I'm going to the game. Oh, my God, the cold, the cold. And look, I, I'm, I'm not going to say it's nothing because obviously it is something. But I grew up in northern Connecticut back when winters were really winters. You grew up <laughs> in Iowa when you had some horrific winter days, I'm sure. And yeah. I have been out in my driveway shoveling for four hours after it snowed 21 inches. And so I, 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 I've I, experienced this. And when people talk about it, I think they think it is absolutely, totally debilitating. And it really isn't. And the way I... Kind of put it to people is this is your job, this is your profession. You have one job and you have practiced in this, you have experienced it. Josh Allen now, he's he's you know four years into knowing exactly what this is. Never mind, he went to college in Wyoming for crying out loud, he knows what cold is. So, I never thought that the cold was going to be a big factor, but I must say. To have the ball seven times against the second-ranked defense in football and to go down the field as easily as Josh Allen did consistently was a marvelous thing to watch. Seven possessions for him, seven touchdowns. That's never happened. And, Paul, how about this? Josh Allen, in his seven possessions on the field, had three third down. or, I'm sorry, excuse me, six third downs. And obviously he converted all six because the bills never had a fourth down in Josh Allen's seven series on the field. I, yeah. I thought it was, I just thought it was incredible. And it's just a sign that on the Pantheon now, Allen had some, a few shaky times earlier in this year where, you know, he can't score, can't do anything at Jacksonville, but, you know, Josh Allen belongs on the Pantheon right now.
2: After that first drive, Peter, when they took the ball and went right down and scored, I wrote down on my notes, unaffected, with a question mark, seeing like, okay, that was really impressive on drive one. How how long can they keep this up? And it was the entire damn game. The the zero-degree temperatures, the Bill Belichick defense, nothing affected him from start to finish. And the numbers are great, but just the sight of time after time Uh, Him doing the right thing with the ball and the ball going where he wanted it to go. And listen, he's not the first quarterback to play well when it's cold out. But his motion was the same. His command of the ball was the same. The spirals were the same. Think back to some of these AFC North games we used to watch when we were kids in the playoffs. The ball was a little bit affected. The, The numbers weren't quite as good as they were in the regular season. He didn't change a single bit. And the seven touchdown drives, great 21 out of 25, whatever it was outstanding, but the visual of being not affected a bit with his motion decision-making by the cold or Bill Belichick, um,
1: as as strong a playoff performance from a quarterback as I've ever seen. So in in the summer, Josh Allen told me, and I quote, in my career so far, I've tried, I tried to play pissed off on the field and I found myself not playing very well. And I, I, you know, I read what, coming into the game, I read what I wrote about him in training camp this year, including that quote. And I said, and that's why I called Jordan Palmer after the game, his quarterback tutor. And Jordan Palmer basically has been a huge guy, along with Brian Dable, obviously the coordinator. But Josh Allen is totally, totally present, calm, and understands that the only way you're going to succeed in this game is to be able to use all of your physical gifts and all of your sort of emotional gifts. And he the only way you can do that is by playing calm. One of the other things he told me in training camp is that this year before games, and I would have loved to have asked him this before the, after the game, but <laughs> this year, basically, he was going to play you know, quiet music. And I, whatever it was, he used to play like whatever Metallica or something to get him really, you know, fired up. Well, he found out that he doesn't need that. Before a game, you know, just calm. He played very well, played with a calm thing. And I'm just going to say one thing, and then we got to move on. But in, on his first touchdown and Paul I'm sure that when you were watching this you thought the same thing as I did you see it's early in the game he's taking the team downfield it's great and he's fading over to the right fading over to the right fading over and you just figure I'll throw it away and when he flipped the ball into the end zone up to Dawson Knox it it looked like an absolute total throwaway yeah. that's what I thought it was that's what he intended it to be but as it turned out, Dawson Knox rose up and made this incredible fingertip catch, got both feet in and it was a touchdown. And I, I went back when I, uh, when I uh, got back to my hotel and I went back and looked on video and I timed it. It was 9.18 seconds. That's more than three times how much a quarterback normally has to pick out what he's doing. But I watched it again and again, and there was a calm player. It was not anybody like with any jerking motions. It was just like he was out in the playground. Hey, I'm going to make something happen. And as a quarterback, I know you really have to appreciate that watching something like that.
2: Absolutely. And I, I go back to a term you just used, his emotional gifts. And his emotional gifts and physical ability were on display there by how calm he was. And for all the things a quarterback has to do physically, Peter, it starts with, I mean, they have to process so much information, pre-snap and during snap. If, you, if your emotions are one way or another super, like, super happy, super pissed off, something that's extreme, it, it gets in the way of that. And the way you explain that, I'm just sitting here listening, here's a quarterback who's not only figured that out, but he's figured out how to play that way as well.
1: What's incredible is that you're playing a Bill Belichick defense. And for the first time in NFL history, you never had a fourth down, never punted, never kicked a field goal, and was perfect on third down. I mean, and again, I'm guilty as anybody else. I'm a prisoner of the moment. Now it's a few days later, I'm sitting back and I'm I'm saying, "I, I can't imagine, and putting up 47 points, I cannot imagine that Josh Allen can play a better game or ever will play a better game. And he could play in the NFL till he's 90 years old. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on to the Sunday games. You know, I'll give you my quick little thought on Tampa Bay 31, Philadelphia 15. And it's, uh, and I like Nick Sirianni. I like his team, but it just gives me more and more reason why Nick Sirianni should be on a very short list for coach of the year, because the Eagles are not a playoff team. Mm -hmm. They became a playoff team because Nick Sirianni in midstream totally changed his offense to a running offense and, and, uh, and away from Jalen Hurts. And now late in the year when Hurts is suffering with a bad ankle and when they play a great run defense team, led by Vita Vea in Tampa, it was a total mismatch.
2: Yeah, well, one thing really jumps out to me watching that game, Peter, and thinking back, you had one team, the Philadelphia Eagles, that no matter what happened in that game, their season was a success. The fact right. that they found their way to the playoffs, didn't matter what happened. That season went well for Philadelphia by, just because they were there. The other team, the season's not even close to a success unless they're playing in a couple of weeks and yeah massive difference between Tom Brady and Jalen Hurts right now but the compete level the expectation level I thought really just jumped through the screen from what they were doing to what I was seeing there from my couch that a team check this box get closer to our ultimate goal versus a team that's like hey we weren't supposed to be here anyway and it really kind of played out that way
1: you know it's so interesting we transition now to the 49ers game over Dallas it's impossible to encapsulate everything in one minute I'm going to pick out just one thing in this game uh, and that is the reaction of the Dallas Cowboys after it first of all I am just sick of the Cowboys complaining about officiating Um, somebody on either on YouTube or Twitter I saw it yesterday on Monday during the day they had all 14 penalty, penalties that the Cowboys were called. And I think only one of them was marginal. There were 14 legitimate penalties. And what do they do after the game? Complain about the officiating. And, and, and again, I think Mike Pereira had a great point on the Rich Eisen show this week, which, in which he said that the fact that the umpire was a little bit late in coming up to the line And getting the ball basically the umpire begins 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage and when a a fast guy like dak prescott is, is is rolling up the middle that umpire is trying to catch up basically and so it's going to be hard for him to get there to spot the ball and everything and of course he's in such a hurry to do it that he collides with dak prescott probably lost about a second in terms of trying to be able to mark the ball and Pereira's point was interesting. He said, if the umpire was placed in the position where he always had been placed until we made that change and put him in the backfield, basically that umpire was like a middle linebacker. And if he was being, if he was placed there, he easily could have been able to spot the ball in Dallas likely would have had another play. But the other thing that bothers me is how Dak Prescott after the game was, uh, you know, seemed to be happy with people throwing stuff, uh, at the officials. It was, not, and Dak Prescott did not have a good day. He had a C game, you know, if that, and, uh, not impressed. I mean, everybody is, is killing Mike McCarthy and I can see it. I I'm not calling a quarterback draw with 14 seconds at left and no timeouts. It's just too risky, but be that as it may, there's my minute and 43 seconds <laughs> on this game. What's yours.
2: Uh, The end of the game was was such a terrific watch and so much drama and chaos in that fourth quarter with that last play call and the the Jimmy G interception. I feel like there's so much of the focus right now on those two instances. I want to go back just and remind everybody the first quarter and a half, it was 13 to nothing. The Cowboys with the number one scoring offense in the league, Peter, they had seven yards. They had seven yards halfway through the second quarter. And Jimmy G had kind of methodically moved his team down the field. Converted more than half of his third downs with some difficult throws. And the way they played in that first quarter and a half and how poorly Dallas played in that first quarter and a half, it allowed the Niners to absorb for Jimmy G interception. It allowed them to kind of live through that. And the end of the game was a terrific thing to look at and a great spectacle to talk about all week. Uh, but they dominated in that first half, and that's why they were able to hang on through those That difficult but super
1: exciting point in the fourth quarter. Here's what I say about the Kansas City Pittsburgh game. Uh, At the end of their game uh, last Saturday, now 10, 11 days ago at Denver, you see uh, Travis Kelsey limp off the field. You see Tyreek Hill limp off the field. Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, wasn't even available to play. And I say, well, now. the the Kansas City Chiefs might be getting to the point that you you can only have so much quality depth in the NFL these days. They might be getting there, but I will hand it to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Jarek McKinnon looked like a great running back in that game. Byron Pringle looked like an experienced uh, been there before, undrafted out of Kansas State, uh, but it, it, so ready to play and to shine and to take their moment uh, in in you know in the history of the chiefs as sort of these plug and play players that when they were called on uh, they were ready to go. I hand it to Andy Reid, the coaching staff to get him ready and I hand it to Patrick Mahomes to basically say, okay, no Tyreek, not a big factor this week or last week, whatever. Missing Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, we'll figure it out. Missing Damian Williams, too, for much of the yeah. game. But yeah. I really, really was impressed with the Kansas City depth. I'm going to build on what
2: she said about Andy Reid giving him credit. And it's nothing new to give him credit for play calling. But what I've noticed here recently, and especially over the weekend, count the number of ways, Peter, and, and the ways they find success throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. From sideline to sideline to receivers and backs, tight ends, and and receivers catching screen passes in the tackle box, it is really impressive. It's hard to think of a way that you could possibly throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage in the quick game and the screen game that they're not doing in a creative way. So, yeah, Mahomes is fun to watch down the field and all that, but, man, are they doing some really cool creative things with that quick passing game, and that Buffalo's going to have to have a plan for that this weekend
1: very quick thoughts on the games this weekend I'll go in order Cincinnati at Tennessee look you know in my opinion the Titans are have proven that they can win and play at a fairly high level with two running backs not named Derrick Henry my mm-hmm. feeling about this game is that uh, Mike Vrabel has learned how to how to play with the biggest roster in football. I was thinking about this yesterday, Paul. You know, opening day, Mike Vrabel standing on the sidelines, listening to the national anthem, 45 Titans in uniform alongside of him. He can look up and down the sidelines. And just imagine, since then, there has been another 46 players in uniform. Another full team in uniform playing with Mike Vrabel and they are in the one seed. That's why I voted Vrabel coach of the year. I'm looking at
2: Cincinnati theater and I'm trying to find a way to, to compliment what they're doing. That goes beyond just, just Joe Burrow and why I think they have a real chance to play at the number one seed and come out of there with a win. The number of ways that they hurt you in the passing game, push Joe Burrow aside. Okay. And he's the guy throwing it, but they have outside receiver. They have another outside receiver. They have a slot receiver a tight end who's coming on, and a running back who gets double-digit carries and catches the ball really well out of the backfield. So, yes, Joe Burrow's pushing the ball down the field, but if you're a deep coordinator getting ready for this, you've got to be ready for a pass catcher coming from every different part of the field. I think they've really flexed that kind of range, as Joe has put up giant numbers, and that's, uh, that's why I give them a real fighting chance, not only to be
1: competitive down there,
2: but to go down and win.
1: San Francisco at Green Bay. I'll be at this game Saturday night at Lambeau Field. I think that this game illustrates how incredibly important getting the bye is. And I'll tell you why. You know, last week in practice, Zadarius Smith, Jair Alexander, Whitney Merciless, three of the top 10 defensive players, uh, and the first two, maybe the most important two, Uh, who've been out much of the year, all practiced. And look, I have no idea whether they're going to play or how effective they'll be, but they are getting people back while the 49ers have a short week of preparation with Fred Warner and a bad ankle and uh, Nick Bosa coming off a concussion protocol. I don't know what his situation is. And they got to go into Lambeau in a primetime game and win. I think it's going to be a really, really difficult uh, game for them to win.
2: I agree. I, I'll give uh, I'll give you one reason to believe that Niners could possibly pull it off. The defense, just as we talked about, found a way to keep the number one scoring offense, a couple of touchdowns under their average. Now an even tougher challenge, trying to get the league MVP and Aaron Rodgers to play a couple levels below what we're used to. He hasn't been throwing interceptions, which has allowed the Packers to to win without much margin of error. They're not winning by a lot. They're just winning a lot of one-score games. If it's that kind of game, and if they can get Rodgers to throw a pick in the second half, turn that into points, I'm not predicting a win, but I'm saying that's, that's their avenue. Get this guy to throw a pick in the second half in a tight game, and let's see what happens.
1: We've talked a lot about uh, the cards already, uh, or about the, the Rams and cards. Here's my feeling about uh, L.A. going to Tampa. Great test for the Bucks. What I like about this game is such a great test in this way. You know, uh, Tampa Bay is going to have a team of defensive playmakers to have to beat at home. Uh, I really like the challenge this week for, uh, and, and I think it's going to be a difficult game, in my opinion, for the uh, for the uh, for the Bucks to just skate through.
2: I go back to the first week in November, Peter. We talked about the Von Miller trade, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I think I said if he makes a giant play or two in January against the team they weren't supposed to beat, that trade was worth it. Then they got him in value. Well. Here's the chance. If they can make Tom Brady some version of the one we saw when the Bucs lost, I think it was 9 nothing to the Saints, they've got a chance. And now here's that moment for Vaughn Miller to make a play or two and make that trade all worth it.
1: Uh, the last game of the weekend, Buffalo at Kansas City. Look, I mean, this could be a Super Bowl game and we'd all be happy. Battle of two great quarterbacks. To me, it's incredible to me to see the Buffalo Bills as underdogs after watching one of the great playoff games ever played.
2: I know it's a, that's hard to picture. It's also hard to picture the, uh, the chiefs being underdogs after the way they played in the last two and a half quarters as well. This is the one where I feel comfortable calling for an upset. I can see Buffalo going in there and winning a high scoring game and coming out by a touchdown or a field goal. You, You going home team or, or
1: upset there. I think I'd go with Buffalo. I I think it's going to be really hard, but just what I saw in Josh Allen just really, really was impressive to me. I I just, I think he's got the presence to be able to stick with it. Uh, And I think Buffalo's defense is going to be a, a great match for Patrick Mahomes. Before I get to Jimmy Garoppolo, I really want to ask you a question, Paul, about Garoppolo and about his thumb. Okay, So he's got a torn ligament in his thumb, torn UCL, as it's called. And uh, he basically told me, he goes, hey, it is what it is. Uh, It hurts. It's not changing anytime soon. Um, And he doesn't want to use it as an excuse, but it's very, very clear that it is affecting the way he throws. I want you to tell people, I know this is going to sound like a third grade question but how important to a quarterback is a th- is your thumb and how you're able to grip and throw the football yeah peter i'm going
2: to i'm going to grab a prop here i'm going to grab a ball i have uh, up here and for everybody who's watching every quarterback will it's different where you see their other four fingers on the laces they all have their own comfort level with where it goes how much of their fingers cover the laces. The one thing that's standard for everybody, this thumb anchors the entire thing, no matter how big your hands are, no matter what you're doing with the laces. If you don't have a firm anchor Hold it up just
1: a little bit, Paul. There we go. If if you don't
2: have a firm anchor with your thumb, that lets you do whatever you want to do with your fingers and the laces. This lets you do that. So this is the one part of the hand, the thumb- that when I hear quarterbacks are injured in their thumb, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how they're getting it done. So huge kudos to him that he's playing as well as he is. But my, my only like, – and I don't know – I have no background info or no inside info here, but maybe maybe he's medicated before the game to where the thumb, the pain, he's not feeling it in that first half and maybe he didn't get that same kind of medication at halftime. It's one way to look at He threw the ball pretty well in the first half, didn't throw it well in the second half. I, I'm just kind of guessing there. Uh, But any quarterback who's dealing with a thumb, it's not impossible, but it's the most difficult injury you can have from shoulder on down is the thumb.
1: Paul, that's really, really great analysis. I'm going to take that clip and I'm going to bring it with me. And hopefully after the game, if I get to see Garoppolo uh, and look, (laughs) these are weird times in COVID times. You, sometimes you see people, sometimes you don't, but I'm, I'm going to put it on my phone. And I'm just going to show it to him and just see what he says. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, I stole
2: this ball, Peter.
1: I stole this ball. Yeah. Let's this, is see. The, uh,
2: this is the, this uh, is the first game I ever started at Iowa. I used it in warmups. I was at Indiana against wow. Trent green. And I just, I wow. was, I was feeling the moment. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to want some kind of something later in life from this moment. So I kept the ball I was warming up with and tucked it in my bag. And it's, it's gone with me at every house we've lived in since.
1: <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Uh, Paul, that's great. Hey, listen, thanks a lot for the insight this week. I just have to tell you that I love having you on the pod. I love your insight. I love both, you know, the fact that you are a former player who can explain so many things like for instance, the thumb, uh, what Kyler Murray is thinking. So, you know, we're really lucky to have your knowledge and thank you so much.
2: Thank you. That's really nice of be to say. It's, it's a highlight of my week to read your article. And then to come on and just kind of go back and forth with you. So, so thanks for saying that.
0: Justin. and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.
3: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: So, let's get to my conversation with Jimmy Garoppolo after the game in Dallas. You'll, you'll, you'll hear a little bit of the play-by-play that I went through with him about the game but i think you'll just get a sense that this guy's really working through something even though he can says a couple of times i don't want to use it as an excuse of course you don't but it probably is a factor so uh here's me and jimmy garoppolo sunday night after the 49ers big win at the cowboys
4: jimmy garoppolo peter king how are you doing good peter how are you hey i'm okay hey how is that thumb really? Come on, it's just you and me talking now.
5: Uh, I mean, it's it's a torn UCL. I mean, you could imagine it. It, it hurts, but uh, you know, it kind of it, it is what it is. It ain't changing anytime soon. Just uh, you know, it's kind of something that you got to deal with. But we're all dealing with stuff right now, so no different than anyone else. Will you need surgery after the season? I uh, I'm I'm really hoping not. I mean, I think we'll have to assess that once we get there, but uh. You know, for now, tape job is holding up and, uh, it's it's holding up. Are you able to throw the way you want to throw? Uh, no. I mean, it's definitely different. You could even see it in my release. It's, uh, it's changed over the last couple weeks. Just, you know, having to, uh, my hand, I just keep saying it's, it's still figuring it out how to, you know, grip the ball, make the different throws, and it's just, uh, you know, something you gotta deal with.
4: I wanna ask you a couple things in chronological order of the game. You Mm -hmm. guys came out, and in your first drive, you had consecutive plays that gained 17, 11, 13, and 15 yards. It could not have gone better. I assume Kyle and you guys do a first 15. You do a script early. Mm -hmm. Do, Do you do it? And was this about as good a start as you could have hoped?
5: Yeah, uh, we definitely do it. Kyle's always done it, uh, as long as I've been here. And it, uh, yeah, we, it was moving today. That, it just seemed, uh, I don't even want to say effortless, but that first drive, we were just in a rhythm, running it, throwing it, everything was clicking. And, uh, you know, we really felt that for the whole first half. It was just, we couldn't finish the drives with it, and we kept hitting field goals, and so it allowed them to stay in it a little bit. But no, we definitely felt like we were in a rhythm. Um, and
4: then when you are, are up. You get up 23 to 10. Tell me what the feeling is on your sideline with your team. I, I mean, you're up 23-3 also, but I mean, what is the feeling that you sense on the sideline?
5: It was really just a finish, you know, finish some type of mindset. You could, you could feel it on the sideline. Guys were saying that <clears throat> we knew what the situation was. And, you know, even with two score a game like that, you just there's still a sense of urgency and I felt that on the sideline and it was a good thing that we didn't lose that, and, you know, wish we would have finished the game a little differently, but, uh, you know, things got way of working out.
4: Take me into
5: the, there's 10
4: minutes left in the game. Looks like you overthrow Sherfield a little bit. Tell me mm. what happened on that play and what, what, what were you thinking? What did you see?
5: Uh, I mean, we had Trent, we, uh, they gave us a little cover two. uh, end kind of crashed. I knew I had the edge. I had an easy throw to Trent. I mean, it just got away from me. Um, uh, there's really not too much more to it other than that.
1: Yeah. Um,
5: what, were your, what were you feeling when you go to
4: the sidelines after that? Were you in despair? Were you just, hey, get them next time? What do you like at that point?
5: No, I mean, honestly, it was kind of just all right. You know, it happened. Uh, you know, I know what the reason is, but you can't dwell on it for too long. You know, it's it's just going to happen uh, – stuff's going to happen, in, you know, in games. And it's just – got to move on from it. I mean, it, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying?
4: Kyle say anything to you after that play?
5: No, not really. Uh, it was kind of – I mean, it just got away from me. I couldn't – didn't grip it the right way. I'm not trying to, you know, make excuses. But yeah. it's just uh, – yeah, I mean, it, things happen like that. So
4: you guys get the ball back after Dak runs for that touchdown. It's now a one-score game. You can you can hear it, you know. Romo and and Nance are screaming on television to be heard. It was just it was so loud. Tell me what it was like in the stadium. Go back. You've got to run out the clock.
5: Yeah, it was it was a really cool. I mean, really, the whole game, starting in pregame, the atmosphere was it was uh it was one of the better ones I've been in, honestly, and it held out throughout the whole game. Uh, faithful really showed out but yeah at the end there it got really loud and it was it was some cool moments in the huddle you know just looking at guys and we all being in in the same moment together it's it's moments like that that you live for and that's you know that's why you play football
4: when you went out there at that moment was there anything that you'll always remember from that huddle in that last drive
5: just I mean honestly I just walking out there the all white and everything and then just seeing the spots of red in between it was I don't know. It, it wasn't anything specific, but just looking around at the at the fans and really just feeling that moment, it was, it was something cool. It was a cool moment.
4: Can you tell me? You throw a pass to Debo. It's three forty to go. It looks like he's going to make the first down, but Van Der Esch makes the tackle of his career, and he's hmm. like half yard short. What's going through your
5: mind? Yeah, it's just uh, unfortunate. You know, it. We we. So I ran that play earlier in the game and got a different look and thought Debo could maybe, uh, you know, get the extra inch. But, you know, tip your hat to 55, you made a nice play on it. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. On your sneak, when you've got to make six
4: inches, it looked like you made about a yard and a half. Did you know <laughs> that Trent Williams had false started? Did you hurry the play? What exactly happened there?
5: Trent, Trent didn't false start. It was it was on me. I mean, honestly, he went in motion, and I just got excited because I saw him all – all the guys up front took a knee and kind of relaxed, and I was like, hey, I could get this. And so I was just a little overzealous, I guess you could say, a little excited. But it was – uh, you know, it made for some good TV, I guess. <laughs>
4: a lot of good TV. Yeah.
2: <laughs> can I just ask you
4: overall, like the last two minutes of the game probably took 40 minutes. What was it like being out there? Peter. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What was it like being out there knowing that like the last two minutes took about forty minutes? And yeah. you're playing it sometimes but then you're just looking. Is your stomach in knots? What's going through your mind?
5: Honestly, it was uh it was a little weird. You know, there were some calls that you were, you know, kind of scratching your head, uh, when they reviewed Debo's run at the end there. We all thought he got it. I mean, they have measured it, got, gave it to him, and, you know, we were ready to take the knee and everything. So, uh, whatever the reason is for that, you know, the I don't even know if it's the official's fault or whoever, but it was, uh yeah, it was definitely a weird two minutes at the end there. Just, I don't know, but at some time you have to, you know, check yourself and be like, hey, you got to stay in this moment and stay locked in, and I thought guys did a good job of that.
4: Two other things. I'm wondering, everybody – you know, probably you were the most social media person in the NFL over the last month or so. Is Jimmy gone? Is he not gone? Is he... How do you stay away from all of that and just sort of keep
5: your sanity and just try to play football?
4: Uh,
5: I think a big part of it is just knowing who you are, you know, as a player and as a person, really. That, that will take you a long way. And it's kind of a big part of, you know, just my mental game. It's just, uh, you know, I know what type of quarterback I am. I know what type of player I am in this league and where I stand. And, you know, all the, all the noise out there and everything, uh, keep it coming, you know, cause it fuels me and it keeps me going. And it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing when people are talking about you. Last
4: thing, you're going to go to Green Bay. It might be single digits. It's going to be, uh, you know, probably a very interesting environment. What's it going to be like for you to go in and try to knock off the number one seed, the guy who was the MVP last year and
5: could very well be the MVP again this year? Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a hell of a week. I'll tell you that. And I know it's going to be a hell of a game too, just the atmosphere, the players in it, the coaches. It's just, you know, this is this is playoff football. You know, going from... The Rams game to the Dallas game to now to Lambo. It's you know this is the reason you play football. This is the moment you want to be in, and what more could you ask for? Honestly, it's it's really exciting. I can't wait for it. This will be your 50th
4: NFL start for the 49ers. Do you wow. sometimes lay in bed and wonder, is this it for me? Is this going to be my last year?
5: Uh, honestly, I mean I've been saying this a lot lately. I I don't really think about it and. As crazy as that sounds, I'm I'm a big uh, you know day by day type of guy, and you know we'll assess that in the off season. Things you know things always seem to have a way of working out, and as long as you're a good person, do the right thing, I think things always will go in your favor. And so that's I don't know, that's just kind of the mindset that I've had, and as long as I have that, I think you know we'll be in a good spot. Hey Jimmy, listen, thanks so much for taking the time. Really, really appreciate it. Definitely, always a pleasure, Peter.
1: My thanks to Jimmy Garoppolo and, as always, to my friend Paul Burmeister of NBC Sports. Uh, We hopefully gave you some of the past, some of the present, and a little bit of the future this weekend. And look, the one other thing that occurred to me is that even though there were some interesting moments in these games, they really weren't, as a whole, great football games, you know, taking, taken, you know, as a group, uh, a, a, an interesting site called Field Gulls in Seattle came out with a great stat uh, on Tuesday morning that said six playoff games over the weekend, zero lead changes in the second half. So, you know, I I will, in the four games this weekend, I think we all could use a little more drama. And hopefully we'll have that drama. We'll be back next week to talk to you about it. Thanks so much for listening and
0: experiencing the Peter King Podcast. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices, every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.
3: It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns
1: before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.